The text for the sermon this afternoon is Matthew 5, the verses 13 through 16, which we have already read. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These are well-known words among us. We hear them often when the Christian life is spoken about. But what do they mean? The sense we get as we look around us is that Christians are called to be some type of mild food seasoning. Or perhaps a mood lighting for the world. The idea is that somehow we make the world a better place by adding something to the world. We make it taste better. Or we brighten things up. We simply add to the culture that we are in. But that is not what is being said in our text. This is a text about being counter-cultural. This is a text about being completely different than the world around us. A while back I saw a YouTube clip of the Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson speaking about how we interact with the world. And he suggested that when we as Christians step back and take a look at ourselves, we may realize that we have simply been a more conservative version of the current culture rather than a counter-culture. And that is really what our text of this afternoon is saying. It is saying that we are radically different than the world around us. But it also says that we have a purpose in the world. Now the Lord Jesus has been instructing his disciples about what it looks like to follow him. He's been going around Galilee, teaching and preaching and proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's been calling the people to repent. And large crowds have begun to follow him. Now in Matthew 5 verse 1, he retreats to a mountainside, likely a hillside somewhere in Galilee, and he begins to teach his disciples, as well as the crowds. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now in a sense we have here God the Son speaking to the new Israel from the mountain. A sort of new Sinai. A new Sinai experience for the people of God. Just as God spoke to Israel from Mount Sinai in Exodus. Where he told Israel how to be his people. That he was their God and and how they were to live before him. So here Jesus speaks from a mountainside to his disciples, telling them of who they are and how they are to live. He speaks to his disciples, to his followers. He speaks to us. And he speaks to us about what it looks like to follow him. Now our text of this afternoon comes right after what has been commonly called the Beatitudes. Verses 3 through 12. 
And our text really serves to complement and fill out what the Beatitudes say. As one person has put it, the Beatitudes speak of the character of disciples. And our text of this afternoon speaks to the influence of disciples. Our text speaks to the way in which we as disciples are to be in the world. We are different from the world, but not removed from the world. We have a purpose in the world. So I proclaim to you the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we find it in Matthew 5, the verses 13 through 16, under the following theme. We are in the world as salt and light. And this tells us two things. It tells us what the world is, and it tells us who we are in the world. Now the fact that Jesus refers to his disciples as the salt of the earth and the light of the world says something about the earth and the world. Now to understand this, we need to understand what salt and light would have meant to Jesus' listeners at the time. One Roman writer, Pliny, was known to have said that there was nothing more important to life, nothing more useful than sun and salt. The light of sun and light in general was critical to life, but so also was salt. Now that's something that can be lost on us today. Salt today is basically something that we use as a seasoning for our food. In ancient times, this was also the case, but it was also used as a preservative. And it was a valuable commodity. In fact, Roman soldiers received a salt allowance. And our word salary, what we get paid for our jobs, is actually taken from the Latin word for salt. So salt was a big part of life. And in our text, it is this use as a preservative or even as an antiseptic, as something that fights infection, that is the primary meaning. Salt would be rubbed on meat and it would preserve the meat or it would be put on infections to clean out wounds. So Jesus refers to his disciples as the salt of the earth. That is, the earth is something that is in a state of decay or infection. It needs to be treated with salt in order to be preserved. Now that is the world's nature. It is in a state of decay. It is on the path of death. Now as Christians, we know this. We we know the problem. And we know how God has addressed the problem. How he has conquered sin and death. The sin and death that we brought into the world by our sins. The way we ruined his creation with our sin. We know that God has conquered that in his son. And we know that we are called to faith. In Christ, in that Son. 
And that we are called to submit our lives to the gospel. Submit our lives to God's will and to rest in His grace. We know the way to escape death. But the world does not. The world around us either does not know what God has done in Christ or it refuses to submit to God. It it may see that there is a problem. It may see that there's something wrong with the way people treat each other. It may see that there is poverty and war and crime. And it would try to address those things. But it tries to do it without really addressing the root of the problem. Without addressing what it really is. It is in a state of disease and decay. And what is happening to it is completely in keeping with that state. And this state of the world is further explained by the second statement that Christ speaks about the the image that he uses. He says, you are the light of the world. And then he speaks about lights, or lamps and lampstands. Now, we today take light for granted, especially at night. We have light bulbs in our houses, we have street lights, we have headlights on our vehicles. But now imagine a world where there are not any light switches, no batteries, no electricity. Darkness would be a much more pressing concern in that world. That was the world of ancient times. That was the world into which Jesus spoke. When it was dark, there was danger, there was uncertainty. It was unsafe. Darkness was associated with evil and with ignorance. In a dark house, people would hang a lamp. Or they would put it on a stand. And it would light up the house so that they could actually carry on their activities. Without light, they were left stumbling in the darkness. So the implication of the statement, you are the light of the world, is that the world sits in darkness. Matthew 4, the verses 15 through 16, a few verses before our text, speaks about the people living in darkness and the shadow of death. This is really the situation of the world. The world into which Christ came. This was our situation separate from Christ. Apart from the love of God. It is a state of spiritual darkness. The world, it is in the grips of not being able to see its real situation. It is stuck in uncertainty. And at times, it is even afraid. And it should be. There is real cause for despair. They live in a world that is impacted by the fall. They live with the consequences of the fall. And they have despair as they look around them. As they look at themselves. And as they look at the pain and the suffering in the world, 
They may ask these questions such as, Who am I? What, what am I doing here? What is the purpose of everything? These are questions that everybody asks. But these are especially frightening questions for the world to ask. They're frightening questions to consider in the darkness of the world. Romans 1, the verses 1 through 8, uh, Romans 1 verse 18 speaks of the world in this state of death and darkness. It speaks about a world that has plunged itself into darkness. A world that God has allowed to go on in its own self-imposed darkness. Death and darkness are part of the curse of sin and the anger of God against sin. Those who are apart from God are in the darkness. They have had their hearts darkened. Romans 1.21 and they have been given over by God to the sinful desires of their own hearts. This is the state of the world. They live in a darkness they have really brought on themselves. And it is a darkness they do not fully understand. And it is a darkness that we would be in if it were not for the grace of God which was given us in Christ. Left to ourselves, and the world left to itself, would continue in this way of being. The world is in need of being saved from itself. But it does not even know that. Now to see people in these states of darkness is is saddening. You perhaps see it most as you look at the entertainment industry. You see the anger of an artist like Eminem. Or the emptiness of a band like Nickelback. You can hear the emptiness and the despair as you listen to their lyrics and That's something to recognize as you hear that music. Recognize that these are people in the darkness who are groping about, trying to figure things out, and who are, at root, in despair. You may even see it in your neighbors. You see your neighbors who go about their lives pursuing their goals and dreams, not really knowing why they have those goals and those dreams, often being disappointed even when they achieve those goals and dreams. They may be unaware or even unwilling to know the truth. But that is the state of the world. And that is what our text addresses. Now, what we can also see from our text is two other things about the world. In the first place, this is a world that is distinct from the disciples. And then at the same time, this world is presented as something that is not to be abandoned. Jesus speaks of his disciples as being salt 
and light. They are distinct from the world. But they relate to the world in a way that blesses the world. And that distinctiveness, that that difference from the world, that is really found, that is described in the verses that are just before our text. The Beatitudes are really a description of the character of a disciple of Jesus. That is who they are in the world. They are poor in spirit. They are emptied of themselves. They mourn. They are acutely aware of their sinfulness and their smallness. They are meek. They submit themselves to the will of God. They hunger and thirst. They crave righteousness. They are merciful. They are pure in heart. They are peacemakers. And what's more, they are even persecuted for being who they are. So this is what a disciple is. The life of a disciple is a life that is completely focused on following Christ. A disciple of Christ knows how small and sinful they are, and they long for righteousness, and they receive blessings, the blessings of the kingdom. The disciple is fully aware of what Christ has done, and they look to Him for everything. And they will even undergo persecution for the name of Christ, because they know who He is, and they know who they are, and they know that they need Him. And they love Him. So to be connected to Christ, to be His disciple, is to be completely different from the world. You could say that verses 3 through 12 of chapter 5 really show what salt looks like, tastes like, and feels like. That those verses show what color our light should be as it goes out into the world. And now in our text, the Lord Jesus says what these disciples what these disciples will do in the world, what they will do among the nations. They will act as salt does. The gospel message that is seen in the disciples will counter the death and decay of the world. They will go into that environment as something completely different and act as a restorative They will bring a healing message of what God has done in Christ. And they will convict the world. They will attack the decay and the death and the darkness. The disciples, us, the church, goes into the world and it shines forth the light of their spirit-generated deeds. And they shine that to a world that does not know the gospel, that does not know Christ, that does not know what God is doing in Christ. 
And they shine forth that light that points the nations to God. Now in a sense, Jesus is calling his disciples to be what Israel was called to be in the Old Testament. In Genesis 12, when God singled out Abraham. And he promised Abraham there that he would be a great nation. He says there, verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, nations on earth will be blessed through you. The purpose of Abraham, the purpose of Israel in the world was that God might bless the world, the nations, through them. Now that purpose would be fully realized in Christ. The one who would deliver us from sin, from the death and the darkness, is Jesus Christ. And he came from Israel, as the Apostle Paul puts it, from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all forever to be praised. Amen. Romans 9, 5. But as you go through the Old Testament, you also see something else. They were to be a kingdom of priests. The Lord says to Israel in Exodus 19, verse 6, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is, Israel was to be a light among the nations, declaring the salvation of God and showing the way of salvation. And Moses speaks to this in Deuteronomy 4, the verses 6 through 8. He says there that the nations of the world will be drawn to Israel. They will be amazed at what God has done for Israel, what he has given them in the law. They will say, what nation is there like this? And we can see this with the Queen of Sheba. In 1 Kings 10, when she comes to visit Solomon. 1 Kings 10, 1. Why does she come? She comes because she heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord. So as Israel pointed ahead to Christ... They also pointed to the way in which God was working his salvation in the world. And the Israelites knew this. They knew their calling in the world. In fact, in Romans 2.19, Paul says to those who consider themselves Jews, You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark. Earlier we read Isaiah 42, verse 7. There are echoes of Isaiah 42, verse 7. In Romans 2, verse 19. Israel saw that they had a calling from the Lord. To be a light to the Gentiles. Now the problem with Israel is that they did not properly carry out their task. In fact, they failed miserably. God's name was blasphemed because of what they did. They did not testify to the way. They did not point 
to the way in which God was working out his salvation. They did not positively impact the nations around them. They became like the nations around them. They were a city on a hill, Jerusalem, that was hidden. So Jesus is saying here in our text that this role, this role of Israel, has now come to his disciples. They are the new Israel. They are to carry on the role of Israel by proclaiming Christ. And in this way, in this proclaiming Christ, the world, the nations will be saved. Jesus is the way, the light, and the truth. And the disciples are to point all of the nations to Christ. The Lord Jesus is here telling his disciples who they are and addressing how these disciples, how we are to function in the world. Now examples for us today abound. There are so many ways in which we can proclaim the gospel into the world around us. Ways in which we can be salt and light. Everyone's life has its own unique challenges. And you each have your own unique calling to act as the people of God in the world around you. It can be as simple as praying at a restaurant or being that guy at college who's different from the other guys. It can mean refusing to be involved in things that the world thinks normal. It can mean refusing to work on Sunday or attending worship services. It can mean not using the Lord's name in vain. It can point to political action, fighting injustices, fighting for the rights of the the unborn or for the oppressed, for those suffering in other nations, be that China, the Middle East, or Africa. It can mean putting God above absolutely everything. It can mean leading your family. As children, it can mean obeying and respecting your parents. These are actions that we perform where we submit ourselves out of love for God. We submit ourselves to Christ. And these are actions that make the world sit up and look. They may be actions that convict, and they may be actions that illuminate. Earlier I spoke of Sinclair Ferguson. In that same clip, he spoke of something else that illustrated his point, and it has been something that's always impacted me as I think about it. Sinclair Ferguson is Scottish. He has a strong accent. And he spoke about how he would be on elevators and he would get into a conversation with people and then they would want to know where he was from. they say, where are you from? Now, he worked for a seminary in the Deep South, Columbia, North Carolina. And so he would say, I'm from Columbia, North Carolina. 
And then the person would always smile and kind of look at them and say, yeah, but we know that's not true because you don't sound like somebody from Colombia. You don't have that southern twang. And Ferguson's point was that that's how things should be with us. People should look at us the way we conduct ourselves in the world and they should say, you're not from around here, are you? You can't be. Not pronouncing your life that way. That is how we are called to be salt and light. We are to point them to Christ. They need to look at us and wonder, why are you that way? We point to Christ in how we act. But there's also a flip side to all of this. What happens when we do not live up to that calling? In verses 13 through 15 of our text, the Lord Jesus is saying that in order for His disciples to carry out their task, they must be fully who they are. Anything less is unsalty salt and useless light. If you do not look like Christ in the world, then you cannot be salt and light in the world. Christ is the preserver of the world. And when we lose our connection to Him, we are unable to participate in His preserving action in the world. We have lost our saltiness. And we are only good for being thrown out of the kingdom. And Christ is the light of the world. And if we do not shine forth His light, we are a useless light in the kingdom. When you belong to Christ, when you are being renewed by the Holy Spirit, the light of Christ shines on you and you reflect that light to the world around you. You become a light bearer. You do not receive that light. You cannot receive that light and stick it under a bowl. You let it shine. We must see from our text that the ability, that our ability to carry out our task as church, as disciples, as followers of Christ, that our ability lies in fully being who we are. Who we are in Christ. To be salt and light effectively, we have to be salt and light fully. And that's interesting. When you look at salt and light, what is interesting about them is that they serve their surroundings. They serve their surroundings in their distinctiveness. If they become like their surroundings... They're useless. And they only become part of the problem. What good is a salt that doesn't preserve meat? It just becomes part of a decaying piece of meat. What good is dark light? It is simply part of the darkness. So that distinctness, that difference from the world, it has to be there. If it is not, 
we as church, we as followers of Christ, lose our ability to speak to our age, to speak to the world around us in our time. So often the church has fallen into carrying out its task as as just a kinder or more conservative version of the world. We aren't as sexual, we aren't as violent, we aren't as selfish as the world. Or we say the church is good for your family. It's a good influence. It sort of slows down depravity. Maybe it'll keep your kids off drugs. Now, when we think that way, we have simply made the church another version of the world. And we have not presented the world with a completely different way of being, a way of living, and a way of being that is caught up in Christ. Or we see the church, we see the followers of Christ, we see them trying to fit in with the world. And that's such a temptation, such a draw for us. We want to soften or mute the message of the gospel so that no one is offended. We don't want to talk about what scripture says about homosexuality or about sex. We don't want to speak about what the Bible says about other religions. As one commentator put it, many seem to think that we are called to be the honeypot of the world instead of the salt of the world. When we try to take the sting out of the gospel salt and the piercing brightness out of the gospel light, We rob it of its effectiveness. Or we see the church being caught up in the effects of salt and light. Of being agents of change in the world. This is another danger that we can fall into. We would like to make the world a better place and we focus on that. But we ignore what defines us as salt and light. We lose our connection to Christ. And we focus on simply helping. It is sad to see, but so many Christian organizations begin with Christ in the forefront. They wish to help their communities. They wish to help people who are suffering in other countries. And they begin with Christ and they begin showing that love to the world. But over time, Christ recedes into the background because the important thing is to help people. So you remove the gospel. But when you do this, you have moved into the realm of being unsalty salt and useless light. You have become disconnected from the very one who makes you true salt and true light. You are being nice. And it is nice to help people. But you are no longer salt and light in the kingdom. And so we are called by our text to be radically, that's at the very root, 
We are called to be radically different from the world. We are to be completely wrapped up in Christ. To be defined by Him. And we are to point the world to the only hope for healing. And the only escape from the darkness. Christ ends our text here with a command. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That is a command. Let your light shine before men. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What that means is that we are to let the light of Christ shine in us. We are to shine forth the way of life that is in the kingdom of heaven. The way of life of the Beatitudes. The way of life is the Spirit grips our hearts and turns us to move and to turn towards God and and to act. People should be drawn to us. Not to us because of us, but they should be drawn to us because of Christ who is behind us, because of Christ who is working through us. They should be pointed to God, to the way of salvation, by who we are in the world. As one theologian put it, people should come up to us and say, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. The world, the nations, they need you to be who you are in Christ. So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Let us now respond to the proclamation of the word by singing Psalm 87. This is a psalm that speaks of all of the nations coming in to Israel. Let us sing that, if you are able. Please please rise as we sing this song. Psalm 87, all five verses. <clears throat> 